Dominus Vobiscum. Lexio Sancti Evangelii secundum Matteum. Jesus dismissed the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He said in reply, He who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed, the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Just as weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all who cause others to sin and all evildoers. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears ought to hear. Verbum Domini. The first thing I think to notice about the gospel this morning is that there's a certain pattern developing here in uh, Matthew 13, right? So we've moved through Matthew 12. In Matthew 12, we saw what the Lord was doing is he was um, like Moses because all of the church, re all of the first readings were all uh, from the Exodus. And so in Matthew 12, what the Lord was doing was separating his, his people, his beloved, out from under a type of tyranny that was over them that was stopping them from actually experiencing God's mercy. And so what the Lord did is he fed his disciples, he healed the man with the withered hand, he did all of these things um, as he led them out from underneath those who were supposed to care for them in mercy, right? And so, and then that was tied with his leading out his people from, ex from Egypt and through uh, the river as well, through the sea, um, into the promised land. And so then what happens is we know that then in Matthew 13, we find ourselves beside the sea, right? So again, bringing forward these images of Christ as the new Moses. And in this new, if you will, promised land, is this abundant fruit is not something that grows from the earth. It's something that we see here is actually going to grow in souls. So what we saw in the Old Testament, all of the promises of, 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 this, of this new land that they were going into, it was abundant in fruit and it was... It was going to be, you know, all of, these, all of these natural goods that they could experience in abundance. And yet what we see here, what the Lord is doing, is He's sowing seeds into human souls. And then within themselves, they experience the abundance. And so the beauty of what Christ is doing here is He's showing that the kingdom is not something exterior. It's something that we participate in within ourselves. And then within ourselves, 
there is this abundant fruit in as much as we allow God's word to take root in us. And so then you have this kind of a, a rhythm within uh, Matthew 13 where the Lord gives a parable. Then there's like a type of interruption, like a, like a break, but it's also not an interruption. There's a continuation of speaking and details and, and other little parables. And then he gives an explanation of the first parable. And then he gives another parable. And it's the one that we're having explained to us now. But in between that parable and the explanation, there's again a little period of time. And in that period of time, there's other things happening and other little parables given and other little explanations given. And then we arrive here at this explanation. And so what's the purpose of that giving the parable a slight break and then explanation? Then giving another parable, a slight interruption, and then giving an explanation. Everything that the Lord does is for our instruction. Everything that he's doing is to teach us. And that's also to show the simplicity of what can be our interior life for fruitfulness, right? Which is, it's almost like we're moving through seasons in Matthew 13. A time of sowing, a brief time of waiting, a time of reaping. A time of sowing, a brief time of waiting, a time of reaping. And so he's showing that the interior life is also seasonal like that. And so it's not something about, it's not about having a lot of intelligence and cleverness and anything like that. The word will grow in and from itself because it's living word, it has power. You just have to plant it. You just have, allow, have to allow Christ to sow it in your soul. And it doesn't matter if you don't understand it initially. It will take effect. It's living, it's active, it's powerful. And it just takes time. And then the understanding comes. And the understanding comes from the questioning of the apostles and of his disciples. They're saying, explain it to us. That's a very beautiful simple form of prayer. Lord, once we've taken in something from his life and we just sit with it for a while and maybe it isn't that exact time that we're looking at it, but we just stay with it. We allow that to pass through particular seasons even in our interior, but we're always asking, Lord, explain the parable to us or explain this to us. Why did you do that? Why did you do this? Why did you heal that person that way? and you healed this person a different way. Why did you cross over the sea at that point if you knew that there was gonna be danger? Why did you feed the multitude in the way that you chose to feed them? Why did you not just create bread from nothing but took what was offered and multiplied it? All of these details, all everything is for our instruction. And so it's again to allow, as we see here in Matthew 13, all of these beautiful seasons just to take place in our soul. And the times of sowing, they can be difficult, dry times, but the times of reaping are, again, joyful. They sow in tears, they reap in joy. That's very often what we experience in our interior life. But that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. And that's what everyone can do. Anyone could take these scenes from the gospel in all of their simplicity and allow them just to be sowed in their hearts. And so how do we do that? Well, we follow the model that's been given to us, right? So first, Jesus dismissed the crowds, right? So again, it's for our instruction. And he's always teaching us when we pray, if you want to know the secret things of God, 
listen for them in secret. Go into your inner room, lock the door. Speak to your father who sees what happens in secret. Or go up the mountain, right? So detach yourself from the world and from the busyness and everything like that and, 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 and just move away. Move up towards what is heavenly. And all of these things are obviously exterior, but they're teaching us about something interior. So when you want to hear the words of God, seek a quiet place. And of all the places that we could seek to meditate upon his word and look into his life, there's a hierarchy of places that are better. The best place is at his feet. So if you want to know his word, well, come to the one who spoke these words. If you want to know about the details of his life, come to the one who lived all the details of the life that you're meditating upon. So come out of the world and come into the secret and come into the quiet. And if you feel like you can't do that, well, that's okay because it says here, Jesus dismissed the crowds. Allow him to kind of put aside all the anxiety, all the worries of the world, all of the thorns, all of the things that block the word from taking root in our souls. Allow him just to push that out just by being in his presence because that's what the disciples are doing. They're just simply following the presence of Jesus Christ and he leads them into quiet. And that's what the Lord wants to do with us in our prayer. And that's why coming and spending time in Eucharistic adoration is so beautiful because it is literally following the world, following the Lord into a quiet place. And so the disciples then it says, approached him and said, again, drew close to him. That's what approach means. It means to in themselves draw close to his presence. The disciples approached him and said, right? So you can see that this has been burning in them for the day. They've heard this parable and they've been questioning it within themselves. And at the first opportunity, they don't even give them a, a time to do anything else. So are they on fire for the word. And so are they on fire for understanding that the first thing that they do is they approach him and they say, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. They've been dying for understanding. They've been thirsting for it. And that's exactly what should be happening with us, is a deep longing to know and to understand everything that Christ said and everything that he did. And the Lord wants to give understanding. Immediately, he says in reply, he who sows, and he just goes into the full explanation. He wants to give understanding. He is the understanding of the Father. He is the Word. He comes to give understanding to men and light as well as salvation and as well as to facilitate friendship with God. But he wants to give that. The only time that he doesn't give understanding or appear to is when someone has understood what he said but can't accept it. So that's the case in John 6 where they say they understand that he means to give them his flesh to eat. And so he doesn't correct them. They have understanding. Now, whether or not they accept that, that's up to them. And some reject, and others remain, and those who remain say, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of understanding. And so again, he said to them in reply, and he goes into this beautiful explanation, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. It's interesting, when the Lord uses, and when he refers to himself as the son of man, whereas sometimes he refers to himself as the son of God, now we know that he is both human and divine. And so when he's referring to himself specifically as son of man, it's with an emphasis, if you will, on his human nature, right? 
And so it is particularly from his human nature that he is sowing this good seed. And we know that to be true because we receive all graces through the human nature of Christ. He takes to himself a human nature so that he can suffer. And so that from his sufferings there is fruitfulness and that is the salvation of souls and the sanctification of those souls. And that's all through this human nature that he, that he then is then sowing these good seeds. But it's also the other seeds, which are his words, they also come through from himself. And all of this, he's constantly teaching us in that human nature that he has assumed by all of his actions, by all of his words, by everything, all of the little details of his life. So he who sows the seed is the son of man, right? So if you want to receive that seed, if you want to be that seed that comes forth from Christ, because now he's specifically speaking about people, about those who are of the kingdom, well then it has to be in connection with that human nature of Christ, his body, his blood, so that we have access to his divinity as well, right? And all of this grace comes to us through that human nature, and that's how we then receive that grace through the sacraments of the church. And then he says, the field is the world, but we know in the parable it says, it's his field. It's his field. And it is truly his field, because the world is that was created by the word, was created through him. And so it is truly his field. And it's interesting, because then what the evil one does, he doesn't have his own field. He has not the power to create. He can only mimic God. And so he, in a certain sense, mimics what the Lord is doing, but in a very destructive way. And the word that it used there for his sowing, it says he sows it across. He sows it across. It's in opposition to God's, work, to God's own work, if you will. And then also he has no care for the seed that he sows because he sows it and leaves and leaves. It just causes division and all of the things that come with the seed that he sows and he has no care for it. His only care is for destruction because of his hatred for God, because of his hatred that he also cannot be like God by his own power. And so then you have those children of the kingdom and his servants, they come and they discover that, this, that there is evil and they're caught up in a panic. They're saying, didn't you sow good seed? How has this happened? And the Lord who is always peaceful, always patient, now that it has happened, just says, bear with it until the end of the age. Maintain your peace. And why can he do that? Well, because he knows that the wheat is stronger than the weeds. The weeds will not overcome the wheat. They'll only strengthen the wheat. And he knows that the grace that he has put in his children is more powerful than that which is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one in the world. And so he can maintain his peace, knowing that those and for those who love him his grace is sufficient to endure anything that we might suffer in this world. And his grace is more than sufficient. It will strengthen us beyond what we even think possible, sanctify us to the extent, to greater extents than we think possible, and lead us into a beautiful union with him. 
greater than the extent to which we believe possible. And so again, it's to, to, to be focused on that inner fire that is the love of God. And I thought that was also interesting, right, is that the suffering of hell is the suffering of, an, of a fire that is outside yourself, right? And it's burning you and it's entering into you from the outside. Whereas like we have that image of God's love which is like a consuming fire, but it's something that burns from within side, from in us. And it doesn't consume us and it doesn't cause pain. It's like that burning bush that burns but is not consumed. And so the suffering of hell is essentially for those maybe who have refused to have the fire within them. And so it, was, it is then without side of them for, their, for eternity. But for those, again, who desire that fire to burn within them, the fire of God's love, the fire of His grace, well then it says, the righteous will shine like the sun. The sun, again, is the source of light for us. The light comes from within it. And so again, it's that beautiful image for the children of the kingdom. And so what are we called to do? Well, we're called to maintain as best as we can through the sacraments that grace that God has given to us, which is more powerful than anything that can be thrown at us from the world. We're also called to allow the words of Christ to take root in our souls, that when His grace is present, our souls are now made good soil, soil that can bear fruit that is supernatural and unto eternal life. And we're called to do that all with charity, with patience, and with love, so that at the time of harvesting, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears to hear, ought to hear. Amen.